We're continuing in Romans chapter 12. We have one or two weeks left uh, before we start a new series. Uh, Our focus is or has been on overcoming evil with good. uh, And particularly the last uh, couple weeks, uh, how to respond to people when they wrong us, Uh, especially with our words. What's the first thing that comes out of our mouth when we are wronged? And what does Jesus say we should do? Uh, And what example has Jesus set for us in how to respond to people who do bad things to us or say horrible things to us? Uh, You know, I was really taken aback uh, this week. If you saw the news, the two nuns that were murdered in Mississippi and they've arrested a guy uh, for that. But what was striking was. A few things. They're serving the Lord and they're killed Uh, in this world. You will have trouble. Right. Uh, But the message that was sent out from their organization uh, and I'm in no way endorsing uh, the Catholic Church or a lot of their beliefs, but um, it was fascinating, wasn't it? And striking that the official response was one of the things they said was uh, Because we are sisters of the gospel, please also pray for the perpetrator. Wow. I was like, wow, we that's something. I guess he viciously just stabbed them to death. Uh, The investigator said one of the worst crime scenes he's ever personally seen. Uh, And yet their organization said also pray for the perpetrator. That's what Paul's talking about here in Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21. What should be our response when we are persecuted and mistreated? Uh, And we can respond with prayer for the perpetrator because we have been saved. We are the objects of God's love. Uh, We, more than anyone as Christians should have the eternal destination of people and even people who do us wrong. That should be what motivates us. We should be concerned about their spiritual welfare. Uh, And we can do that because of what Christ has done for us. So a lot of this uh, is review. So we come to Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 14. Remember, everything in this passage is moving toward the great culmination of verse 21. Let's read verse 21 together out loud first. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Then go back to verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Don't be haughty in your own thinking, but be willing to associate with the lowly. And don't be wise in your own estimation of yourself. Don't ever pay back evil for evil to anyone. Always respect what is right in the sight of all men. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own personal revenge, beloved. But leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. 
For in doing so, you will reap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We don't have time to talk about this aspect of this passage, but this passage is not really addressing pacifism because some of you have asked me very good question that we're not going to answer today uh, is do we use this to teach that Christians shouldn't fight when your country goes to war that that this passage doesn't have uh, is not related to that topic. This passage is talking about personal revenge, one person to another. Let's talk about one on one. Now, the scriptures do address should a Christian go to war. And you can chew on that for, well, I don't know, maybe we'll get to that someday. Um, oh, that's tempting. No, we won't. We don't have time. Okay. So let's talk about personal uh, revenge. Uh, specifically, someone is persecuting you because you are a Jesus follower. All right. And this text makes it clear That this persecution is primarily from someone who doesn't love the Lord, but sometimes bad will and behavior and words between two people who do who claim that they love the Lord. So there's both here, primarily, though, an unbeliever targeting you for persecution because you follow Jesus. It's not talking about when you bring or we bring Uh, persecution or mistreatment of ourselves because of wrong that we have done. You know, Peter in his first letter, first Peter says, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a troublemaker. Sometimes our own behavior and choices brings negative consequences onto us. That's not what Paul's talking about here. What's happening here is because I love the Lord and because this person knows that I'm a Jesus follower, he has targeted me. For abuse and misuse. And by the way, that's who we want to be. Right? Not provoking people, but we are living for the Lord. And if I'm being persecuted for living for the Lord and following the Lord, then that's a great affirmation in my life that God, uh, that I am gaining God's approval in my behavior. So. We've already learned that before we come into verse 14, we know what the whole book of Romans is talking about, right? In the early chapters, everyone's under the condemnation of sin. Say it with me. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who seeks after God. All have together become worthless. All have turned away. So he's saying, hey, we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners separated by God in need of grace that comes through Jesus Christ. That's when he starts talking about justification in Romans, which means if I put my faith for eternal life in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God accepts that and gives me eternal life. Okay, then he moves into, okay, I realize that I am condemned as a sinner. Then I realize that I'm saved by the death of Jesus Christ. That's justification. Then Paul spends a lot of time talking about sanctification. Now that I'm saved, I'm going to live and grow in my knowledge of and my obedience to Jesus for the rest of my life. There should always be growth your entire life in your knowledge of Christ in the Bible, but also your obedience. Senior saints, 
You should be the most knowledgeable Christians among us. And you should be the most obedient Christians among us. I'm putting the pressure on you. Maybe you don't like being called a senior saint. My bad. What do you mean senior? I'm only 80. Okay. That's assuming you've known the Lord for a long time. There's no place for this American cultural concept of I'm retired. Time to hit cruise control. That is not a biblical principle. The biblical principle is, I am retired, time to kick it into high gear and give even more time to the Lord and more time to other believers. Oh, you didn't like that. Okay, scratch that, never mind. Okay. But that really is the biblical principle. Growing. You'll be growing for your entire life. It's not necessarily at what speed, just there has to be movement. Sometimes in your life, you're going to be moving really slow. You're going to be crawling. Other times, you're going to be like Usain Bolt without all the yucky stuff, just the running. You're going to be flying in your growth and walk with the Lord. Sometimes you're going to feel like you're in a marathon and you're the last person to cross the line. I saw some of those runners, <laughs> you know, they're wobbling, you know. And the one person, the American, he slipped and fell right at the finish line because it was raining. And he, and he fell. For some reason, he decided to do a push-up, <laughs> trying to prove a point. And then he got up and he walked across the line. Sometimes that's us. But there has to be growth, right? Now, based on all that, look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Forgive me if I'm belaboring this in review, but I think it's important. Based on everything from chapters 1 through 11, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that's what he's calling chapters 1 through 11, mercies of God, to now present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Because of all this God has done for you, It's only logical, that's the literal wording there in verse 1, it's the only logical outcome, the only logical conclusion of everything that God has done for you. It only makes sense that you now give your whole self to Him. There is no other logical outcome for a believer in Jesus but to devote my whole self to Him. Now, chapters 12 through 16 He says, this is what that devotion looks like. What does it mean or what does it look like to offer my body as a living sacrifice? Well, one thing it looks like is overcoming evil with good. That's one way to offer my body as a living sacrifice to God. To respond with good when I am wronged with evil. That's offering my body as a sacrifice to God. Easy stuff, right? Just easy stuff, right? (laughs) And it's really easy because he starts out in verse 14. Start with your words. How you talk to people when you're wronged. He does the easiest things first, right? Okay, I'm being sarcastic. That's rough. Verse 9 tells us that to overcome evil with good, the center or the motivation of that is love. Let love be without hypocrisy. Love for God, love for Christ, love for others is the reason for overcoming evil with good. I respond 
with good when I am wronged because I love God and because I love God, I want to love others. We saw that the word overcome is a military term. In other words, overcomers are victors. And if you've been saved by placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone, his death on the cross for your sins, you are an overcomer. That's what the Bible calls you. And you're thinking, Pastor, I don't feel like an overcomer. Well, I say we have to take God's thoughts and put them into our heads and make them our thoughts. I may not feel like an overcomer, but I can remind myself that according to the scriptures, he has overcome. Therefore, I am an overcomer. Now, does that mean easy breezy life is cool and easy, right? No. If that were the case, we'd be in a different church right now instead of this one. I can't resist sometimes. Romans uses what two words 13 times? Right. It's on the screen. You don't have to guess. <laughs> Some of you are like, think, 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 Winnie the Pooh. Think, think. No, it's right there. Thank you. Okay. In Christ. Say those two words out loud. Now say, I am in Christ. Yeah. That... Those two words, and by the way, in the New Testament, hundreds of times, you see that in Christ. And for those of you youth that went to momentum, in Christ is talking about your what? Your identity. Your identity. It makes all the difference if we are in Christ. That means if I accept the death of Jesus on the cross personally, for my own personal sins against God. God now only deals with me as I am in Christ. Woe and fear to the one who is outside of Christ. That's not where you want to be. I'm not just a man. I'm a man in Christ. I'm not just a husband. I'm a husband in Christ. I'm not just a father. I'm a father. And you're not just a mother or a sister or an employee or a taxi driver, moms or whatever. You're a taxi driver. You're an Uber mom. OK, but in Christ, it makes all the difference in the world. You're not just an employee. You're an employee in Christ. You don't just respond to people who mistreat you. You respond to them. Now you mumbled. You were with me until I asked you to do something hard. Okay. We respond to people who wrong us in Christ. Which means I follow Jesus' example. And the way he responded when he was wronged, mistreated and persecuted is how I have to respond because I have claimed his death and resurrection for my salvation. And I'm now in Christ. 
I'm still a slave. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a slave to Christ and to righteousness. When I accept Jesus as Savior, that doesn't mean I get the green light to go and do whatever I want and live however I want. And it's forgiven. It's covered. No, that means now I can do something now that I could never do before. What is that? I can live to please Christ. I can do this Romans 12, 14 to 21 because I am in Christ. He has given me the resources that I need to do that. Now, I have to learn and I have to practice because I'm human and I develop habits. One or two of those are not the greatest habits, but we are creatures of habit, right? That's why Second Timothy 3.16 talks about the Bible and does this and this and this for training in righteousness. We have to train ourselves. So Paul uses military terms because we're not to be on the defensive against evil, but we're supposed to be on the offensive doing good. Romans 12, 14 to 20 is the good that we're supposed to be doing to overcome the evil. And we're going to be looking at those things. The evil that he's talking about. Is not some broad generic evil which is in the world somewhere, but it's specifically directed toward you. And you must endure what is inflicted by some other person. We've talked about context is mainly an unbeliever. Sometimes, though, we Christians don't always treat each other like we should, do we? Do we? Come on, you guys. We don't. Remember always the essence of this evil, the essence of all evil is always aimed at God, though you're the visible target. The ultimate target is always God. Satan wants to thwart God's purpose by tempting Christians to sin, disgracing God's name and weakening the church. So you may be persecuted for your faith. But one of the reasons we can respond lovingly even to our persecutors is because we know the real target is God. That's who Satan is ultimately after. There's the first Peter four passage through no fault of your own evils directed against you because you're living a life that contrasts with sin. This is not the same as being punished uh, as a sinning Christian. Different things. The good that he says, overcome evil with good, it's not passive, but it's active. We look at the cross of Christ and his death. We realize that was not a passive act, but the most active good that could ever have been accomplished. The scriptures tell us that. Because sometimes I think we're tempted to think that the cross is kind of a wimpy picture. Jesus just turned himself over to be walked all over and tortured and used. That's the exact opposite of the truth. He willfully, consciously, willingly went to the cross to die. It was a, uh, an active choice that he made to do that good that would overcome that evil. So then you go back to verse 14. We began this last week, so we're kind of picking up where we left off here now, finally, after a two-hour introduction. Okay. 
The first thing he says we do to overcome evil with good is we bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. We don't go there, but you need to jot down. Unless I don't think I had it on there already. James 3, 1 through 12. Ephesians 4 talk about this. The primary place of communication. In other words, how does love talk? Responding with the right words when we are wronged is a very active thing to do. Jesus says in Luke 6 to do what for those who mistreat you? To pray for those who mistreat you. Because we're concerned about their spiritual need. My spiritual need has been met because I do trust in Jesus for my eternal life. And I will trust him to take care of me if I'm being persecuted so that I can then focus on the spiritual need of my persecutor because he doesn't know the Lord and he's got some serious eternal spiritual problems. Because my spiritual need has been met through Christ, I am in a position more than anyone to minister to this person's spiritual need. We don't really think of it that way, do we? The communication response to evil comes first and left. Useless to try anything else first. Because all of our good intentions and efforts can be undone by one careless word. The Christian must learn how to talk to those who have wronged him. Right? Our words either help or they hinder It's tough. You know, the Apostle James in his letter in the New Testament says that's one of the hardest things on earth to do to control our mouths. Can I get an amen? You guys, that's that's kind of okay. It's hard, right? Let's be honest with you. It's uh, it's always been a struggle my whole life. I'm surprised they even have a finger left. Right? Sometimes you get so angry, you know you shouldn't respond, and you're trying to control yourself, and all that comes out is a noise. You know, your face. Right? Love you. Yeah. Right? How many of you ever have a huge argument in the morning with your spouse and then on the freeway you call her to ask forgiveness and get it taken care of? It's fewer and far between, right? Please just say yes, even if that's not true. Okay. But it comes out and when it's coming out, I'm yelling at myself in my head, shut up. And it's still coming out. I don't even have my seatbelt on, and I'm like, oh, oh, right? First name in my speed dial, Lisa. It's hard. It's hard. But I tell you, you can gauge your spiritual maturity by how quickly you take care of problems. We still have problems. Well, I still have problems. I'm serious. I'm not even kidding. 
I don't know how she does. We still have problems. The words still come out. But as I grow in Christ and grow in obedience, it becomes fewer and far further between. But then the Lord just reveals another area that I need to work on. It's like, oh, I've really grown in this word thing. And then I notice, oh, there's other stuff. Giving a blessing is a positive, active, aggressive response. It's not a passive response. When Jesus says to turn the other cheek in Matthew 5, that's often misunderstood. It's not passive. It's actively doing good. It's giving my persecutor the opportunity to repent. It's demanding better of him by refusing his sinful behavior, by thrusting forth something good for myself. I'm showing concern for him and his sinful condition. In other words, I'm not going to return his evil with more evil because I understand his spiritual peril. So I'm going to respond with good, which gives him the opportunity to go hmm. Hmm. It kind of lets the sails out of the attack. And it's because of love. It's because of love. And I know we can then kind of go inward and get discouraged because we realize, are you saying that because I usually respond to evil with evil, with abusive words of my own? And so, are you saying that I don't really love I'm saying, yes, that's true. But. That's confession, right? That's repentance. You know, Romans 12, too. Then we get to transformation. I, I understand that's something I struggle with. It's, I fail with it all the time. But it's something that I confess. And it's something And we'll see in this passage as we move through it, we'll see how do we work on that? What do we change? How do we grow in that? What should we do instead? But, But I think there's something to be said for holy sadness, for, you can help me, godly disappointment with deeply troubling recognition Of my sanctification. That's a good thing. Because then we take it to the Lord. uh, And we confess it. Because it's sinful pride. That refuses to be transformed. Right? But remember progressive sanctification means we grow our entire life. We're not perfect. I know I burst some of your bubbles. You're not perfect. Sorry, Dennis. Okay. So this verse, Romans twelve fourteen, you could just call it love talks. Love talks. There's all kinds of various sorts of persecution. And Paul's saying not if you're persecuted, but when. And really, in our world, I think we're okay to do this because some of these commands are directly related to communication. The most frequent and usually the first kind of persecution is verbal or social abuse or persecution. It's not easy to control the mouth, but love will teach you how to manage your mouth. And I will testify only for myself that the love of Christ is teaching me how to manage my mouth. 
my mouth management in the church I was in before I came here was not as good as it is here because there's been growth. So you should say, amen, praise the Lord. And some of you are thinking, really? There's been growth? Okay. Uh, yeah, there's been growth. Right? There's been growth? Okay. <laughs> if she ever says no, I'm just going to leave. So. Matthew 10, there's a command there about be uh, as wise as serpents, but gentle as doves. That's a great verse. Because you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying basically be suave and careful, but don't be deceitful or deceptive when persecution comes. Because he's sending them out into the world. He knows they're going to be persecuted. If you've never suffered for your faith, here are the three options. Either you're not really a Christian. That could be. Number two, maybe you're not living like a Christian should live. That's why you have never been persecuted or suffered. Or maybe your time to suffer has not yet come. And I think in our country, our time has not yet come, but... Let's be real, folks. It's going to come. Maybe it'll be in our lifetime. Maybe not. I just cannot imagine that my grandchildren, I'm assuming I'll have some. Kids, if you're listening to this, give me a grandbaby. I just cannot imagine my grandchildren, if they are believers, will not be persecuted in this country. But that would be, I would be surprised. Boy, have we been blessed in this country. Every generation of believers, every place in the world except ours has suffered for their faith. Even our forefathers, our grace brethren forefathers were violently persecuted in Europe before they arrived in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia in 1708. Do you know that they believed that infants shouldn't be baptized because they believed that the Bible says you have to confess with your mouth. You have to make a verbal profession. You have to understand salvation before you get baptized. So others who claim to be believers would take these Anabaptists, they were called. That's your forefather, Grace Brethren, Anabaptists. They would take them in a boat out on a lake, tie their feet together, tie their hands behind their backs and throw them into the water. Every generation in every place in the world except us has suffered for their faith. And Paul says, it's not if, it's when, so maybe it's just our time hasn't come. Who knows? Persecute you. Think about this. Who's persecuting you? Who is cursing you? Who slanders you? Who insults you? Who mocks you? Who gossips? Who's being unkind? Who directs verbal abuse toward you? The media does, the unbelieving world does, maybe your neighbor does, maybe your so-called friends, family members, in-laws, sometimes our spouses, we treat each other horribly, children, a boss, a co-worker. I mean, all of those. How many have ever experienced any of those? Let's not name names. How many have ever experienced any of those? I could ask how many have ever perpetrated it, but I won't. Okay. So we say, how can I handle that? So we ask ourselves, well, how did I respond the last time that happened? Someone came at me verbally. 
Did you bless them, either verbally or in your thoughts, or did you curse them? Uh, What were your words? What were your thoughts? Remember, communication also involves the words that I speak to myself. So you could say, well, I didn't say anything. And then I would say, well, what were you thinking? I didn't say anything. Right. (laughs) Ooh, she only knew what I was thinking. Somehow we think, oh, I'm pretty righteous because I didn't say what I was thinking. (laughs) Uh, Did anybody hear what you didn't say but you were thinking? Who? The Lord always hears. Rats. A good exercise is to recall your specific words and your specific thoughts when that happened. And we'll see why in a moment. This is serious discipleship. This is being conscious, being willful, being purposeful. Sometimes in our Christian walk, we may not say it, but we somehow live our Christian life as if God does everything and we just sit there and let it happen. Like, like the Holy Spirit is some sort of cosmic I dream of genie. And we just open the bottle. Here comes a God. Woo. No, I don't have the outfit like Barbara Eden. But that's how we live sometimes, right? As a Christian. What does Paul say? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And he's not talking about your eternal salvation in heaven. He's talking about your Christian life after you get saved. Work it out. That means there's wrestling involved. Paul's using military terms in our passage for Pete's sakes. Divine violence toward ourselves. The Puritans called it mortification of the flesh. In other words, taking a hard look at myself, looking at the scriptures, what needs to be weeded out for the cause of Christ, and then what do I replace it with to grow in my walk with the Lord? It takes effort. So as sinners, we've developed sinful response patterns. We have developed a sinful style of responding to those who talk to us in ways we do not like. Change is hard, but not impossible. Romans 12, 2 says transform, transform. And you already know what that word, we get an English word from that word transform, metamorphosis. Managing your mouth, I should have said manage my mouth. We need to realize that cursing is serious business. What is this cursing? He says, bless, but do not curse. It's not really talking about cuss words, because that's what we think about right away, isn't it? Don't curse. Well, I don't swear. I don't cuss. That's not exactly what the word means. When you curse, what you're doing is you're invoking God's judgment on another. And and not to be humorous, but to let you know, it's the principle is damn you to hell. Damn you to hell. That's your thought. That's your desire. It may even be your words. But if you don't use those words, that's what your intention is. You're asking God to send the person you curse to hell forever. You are so angry that you'd like him to suffer the torments and punishment of eternal wrath. That's your attitude at the moment. That's serious business, right? 
Don't take cursing lightly because God may listen. Is that what you really want God to do to this person to damn him to hell forever? Cursing is serious business. Take a moment to think about hell and what suffering is really like. James chapter 3, James said, Blessing and cursing come from the same mouth, you believers in Jesus. He says, This should not be. It doesn't make sense for a Christian to talk like this. And he gives these examples fresh water can't come from bitter water. You know, a fig tree doesn't produce olives. A vine doesn't grow figs. Salt water can't produce fresh water. You see, he's saying it just, it's illogical for a Christian to talk out of both sides of his mouth like that. A believer is the only one who understands the horrors of hell and the freedom of Christ and therefore should be the last to curse another. He understands that he himself would be under God's curse if Christ had not died to free him from the bondage of hell. Cursing can be public, but maybe it's private. Maybe it's even silently to oneself, but it's always spoken before God. I know I shouldn't as a Christian, but how do I stop? How do I stop? Here's the biblical principle. The scriptures call it put off, put on. This is the essence of all life change that is pleasing to God. If you are a disciple of Jesus and you're serious about that, there's a twofold call in our obedience. You can't stop cursing. It's impossible or stop any sin. We can't do it. You must replace cursing with blessing. It's not enough to stop cursing this person who's mistreating me. I have not gone all the way in discipleship until I begin blessing. That's a principle that covers all behavior. Paul says in Ephesians 4, let he who has been stealing stop stealing and give to the church. It is not enough to stop stealing until I've learned to be a giver. It's not enough to stop looking at pornography until I start Loving my spouse the way that the Bible tells me I should. I start using my body in a sexual way according to God's word. It's not enough just to stop. The scripture says put off and put on. There's a parable. Jesus, remember, drove out some demons, remember? But where did they go after that? They went into a herd of pigs and then threw themselves over We can't just stop doing something. It has to be replaced. Sinful ways don't just disappear. They must be shoved out by righteous ways. The only way to stop hating is to learn how to love. So 
if I don't respond well when I'm mistreated, especially verbally abused, it's not enough to stop responding back. It will only be deeply effective and pleasing to God if I then learn to return that abuse with blessing. And you can do that because you are what? In Christ. There's the passages that teach the put off, put on principle. Uh, I'll leave that there for a split second. Ephesians 4, because we're out of time. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24 and verses 29 to 32. Colossians 3, verses 8, 10, 12, and 14. He gives us a list of things. Stop or put off is the exact words. But what's interesting, he then continues and says, put on instead. It's not enough to put off all these wrong forms of communication. He mentions there in Ephesians, slander, gossip, brawling. But he then says, put on kindness, tenderness, forgiveness. Ready? Okay. The Holy Spirit brings change in our lives at a real depth level. This is not behaviorism. This is not behavior modification. This is change at the heart at the seat of the inner person it won't be easy but it happens in the regular doing is where the renewal takes place it's in the doing it's in the practicing and training of returning a curse with blessing of returning verbal abuse with blessing and blessing type words it's in that doing where renewal takes place where new habits are developed there's a constant awareness of God's demand for blessing in my mind. And there's a consistent desire to please God. So I continue on, you know, practicing that. Like I said, I may respond in 50 horrible ways, but maybe over a six month time period, I find I'm only responding in 30 bad ways. And then maybe over a 12 month period, I'm only responding 10 bad ways. It takes practice and happen overnight. We're creatures of habit. I guess you could call it rehabituation, habit, habituation, because we are habitual creatures. We have all kinds of habits, good habits and bad habits that we have to be retrained. Now, lastly, to wrap this up, what exactly is a blessing when he tells us here, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. What does that mean? When someone's coming at me, cursing at me, cussing me out, or let's say I have a boss who has no compassion, a face of stone, and says, hey, sorry to hear that. Tough luck. Suck it up. Get it done. Or you're out of here. And you say, bless you. That's not what he's talking about, right? You say, okay, can we hug? No, that's not what he's saying. Remember that scene in Elf where he runs into that porcupine? He goes, someone needs a hug. You know, it's like trying to hug a porcupine sometime, right? <laughs> Most of the time, I'm the porcupine. It's more than just the opposite of a curse. And these are biblical principles. It's asking God to do good to the person who is doing evil to me. If he doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as his savior, I'm asking God to save him. 
and then work good in his life. I tend to be more patient and respond better if it's an unbeliever mistreating me than if it's another believer. And that really shouldn't be. It should be the same. But for the unbeliever, I understand that he doesn't know the Lord and he's on the road to hell. And that the Lord has put me in his path as a testimony, as a light, as a messenger. And I need to be really careful of my response and my testimony. Because as they say, I may be the only Jesus this person ever sees. Now, if another believer's treating me like that, that's a whole other animal. We won't go there. I'm like, dude, what is your problem? I'm going to knock the Jesus right out. It's a little different, right? When we talk to our brothers and sisters because we're in Christ together. We're also asking God to show him mercy despite of what he is doing. Didn't Jesus do that from the cross when he was being put together? Father, forgive them because they have no idea what they're doing. They're so lost. They're so ignorant. They're so rebellious against you, Father. They have no idea what's waiting for them if they don't repent. You see, seeing beyond the persecution to the spiritual need of the persecutor. Just in a real practical way, maybe it's silly, but I was at Trader Joe's and, you know, the line was so long. And then, you know, how they, do you ever get that tense moment when you see, oh, they're going to open up another aisle? You know, should I go? Should I stay? You know, it's tormenting. You, you don't know, should I leave my spot? Because, you know, when that light goes on, it's a 50-yard dash, you know. So the kid goes, he points at me. Woo, I love it when they point. Because then you can just walk as slow as you need to, you know, because he, he pointed at me. So he goes, I can help you over here. All right. This woman comes flying out of nowhere. Carrying two jugs of milk. No cart, no basket. She clips my arm. She's in me because I'm a godly person. I said just loud enough for her to hear. Okay, then by all means, go first. That's what Jesus would do, right? Kind enough not to be mean, but loud enough to be heard. Not going to talk about our ethnicity. That would be wrong. She goes, oh, oh, no, she's already got her debit card out swiping. Oh, I'm sorry. I said, hurry. Because I'm a professional hypocrite, I said, it's okay. Don't worry about it. No problem. In my head, I was thinking, you dirty rat. I hope that milk spoils. Right? She runs out and she apologizes a second time. <laughs> then the young kid at the register, she walked out. He goes, wow. I was like, yeah, right? Wow. I said, it's all right. It doesn't matter. So then I 
And I'm right behind her. I go out. You can't make this stuff up. Thank you, Lord, for these stories. She's parked right next to me. Seriously. And she came in after me. And she left me, oh, six inches. You ever do that? You're pushing it all in. (laughs) And you tried. Of course, she's sitting behind the wheel. She was in a huge hurry, so she's texting. I'd say she's probably 40. So I stepped back so she could pull out. So she rolls down the window, and this time it struck me as very sincere and genuine. And she rolled down the window, and she said, you know what? Thanks a lot for letting me go first. I am in a really big hurry to get to work. She said, I was rude, and I'm really sorry. (laughs) Bless those who persecute you. That's not really persecution. But bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Pray for someone who spitefully uses you. Ask God to do good to the one who does evil. Now, that's not evil cutting in front of you at line at Trader Joe's. But our first response, let's stand together. Our first response when we are wronged should, of course, be. Right now, in this moment, I want to respond in the way that God wants me to respond. My first response should be, Lord, help me to respond to this person the way Jesus responded to those who mistreated him. And by the way, if we screw up, if we drop the ball, if we blow it, and if it's in a relationship kind of context, it's so important that you then go to that person As soon as possible and just say, hey, I blew it. Can you please forgive me for the way I responded to you, for the way I've talked to you, uh, even for the thoughts I've had? You need to do that if you blow it. Because sometimes we do, right? Once in a blue moon. So we go to that person and we confess it. It doesn't matter how they respond back. We do only what the Lord has asked us to do, right? And it comes out of love, love for God, genuine love for others, especially if it's an unbeliever who's mistreating you. You want to just stop for a moment and say, Lord, this person, they're treating me so badly. Obviously, they really need you. They really need you. So, Lord, if at all possible, use me to bring them to you. Because, Lord, I already belong to you. So they can do all the horrible things they want to me. But Romans 8 tells me nothing's going to separate me, Lord, from you. But this person maybe doesn't even know you. So help me to respond in a way that doesn't burn a bridge that you might be able to use. That's radical stuff. That's real discipleship. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's what it means to overcome evil with God. Father, sometimes we think that's too hard. But we know our Lord set us the example. Romans 15 tells us that everything that was recorded in the Old Testament was recorded for our encouragement. 
so that we can look at the lives of those who have come before us and how they have focused on ministering to others, not focused on their own hurt, their own pain, their own needs, but knowing that they are safe in your arms, they are then able to minister even to those who persecuted them. We take comfort and motivation from that. Father, some of us don't respond properly when we are mistreated. We start fighting for our own rights. We start defending our own needs. We start arguing for our own perspective. And your will, your agenda for the perpetrator goes right out the window. So, Father... In the spirit of Romans 12:2, we beg you to transform us by renewing the way that we think when we are wronged. Help us to think that we must respond with good. We must respond with blessing. We must respond with prayer for our perpetrators. Because the scriptures say... God does not desire to see any lost, but that all would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Teach us, help us to love others as you have loved us. Help us to talk to others as you have talked to us. Give us your thoughts as our thoughts, your ways as our ways. Father, we pray for encouragement along the journey because this won't happen in one day, one week, one month, maybe not even one year. But give us the burning desire to be pleasing to you more than to be pleased ourselves. We beg you to use us as missionaries, as witnesses, as testimonies, as helpers. Especially for those who do not know you. We thank you, Father, for the example of our Lord Jesus Christ, who never gave a thought or concern to his own needs. Even when being reviled, slandered, mocked, gossiped about, cursed at, beaten, crucified. He was still praying. Help them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Teach us to be those kind of people. Teach us to be lovers of people and lovers of Christ. Thank you for putting us in a church family that we can help each other do that. Give us the courage to speak honestly but truthfully to brothers and sisters who are having a hard time with this. Give us the courage to go to another brother or sister to say, I need help with this. Uh, Thank you for putting us together in the same church so that we can journey together, so that we can help each other, that we can mourn together, rejoice together, walk together, talk together, but most of all, to pursue Jesus Christ together. So we leave here today, Father, if any good thing has happened, if any transformation has happened, if any change in thinking has happened, if any confession If any repentance has happened, if any restoration in relationship has happened, we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. We take none of it for ourselves. So thank you, Father. 
for loving us and giving Jesus to die for our sins that we might have eternal life. And so we leave here rejoicing and praising you. In his name we pray. Amen. Hey, so glad you were here today. Hope you have a great week. And Lord willing, we'll see you Wednesday night at Bible study.